Hey guys, welcome back to Sensory Overload. I am your co-host, Presley Colby. Hey everyone, it's me, your other co-host, Ashley Deaver. So we've got some really exciting news today. We have our very first guest. We have Miss Courtney Willis here with us today and we are so thrilled. So I'm going to introduce Miss Courtney. Courtney Willis is a speech and language pathologist practicing in Dallas, Texas. She has a BS in speech and language pathology and audiology, an MS in communication disorders from the University of Texas at Dallas. Her primary area of interest is autism spectrum disorders. She was invited to speak at the third annual GT Bank Autism Seminar in Legos. Thank you. <laughs> yep. I had to put a little a long A. A long A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lagos, Nigeria, where she gave a talk to parents and professionals on the topic of incorporating speech play in the treatment of ASD. She has always been fascinated by the brain and language. Me too. Same. She first learned of ASD as a young child. A close family friend who happened to be an SLP also learned that they had a child with autism. Observing and interacting with children on the autism spectrum had a major impact on Courtney. In college, she knew she wanted to choose a career that helped people. The idea of being able to learn about the brain and help someone else learn language was so appealing that Courtney elected to pursue a career as a speech-language pathologist. Courtney primarily treats communication disorders and or speech disorders related to the autism spectrum disorder as well as development, developmental delays throughout her career. Courtney has worked in a variety of settings, including educational, home health, and clinical. In 2015, Courtney founded Speech Wings LLC, which is so awesome. Thank goodness for that. Yes. She serves as chief executing, executive officer and clinical director. She currently leads sev- several early intervention programs, Early Birds, SOAR, which is social skills, right? Mm-hmm. And Breakfast Buddies, as well as offering individual speech, language, and articulation assessments, speech and language therapies, and speech and language therapy sessions, prompt articulation therapy sessions, consultations, and educational seminars. Courtney was invited and selected to attend an exclusive childhood apraxia of speech and dynamic temporal and tactile cueing advanced workshop taught by Dr. Edith Strand. Dr. Strand is an emeritus. We talked about this before. We did. Emeritus professor at the Mayo, in the Mayo College of Medicine. Mayo. Mayo. God. Y'all, I'm sorry. I'm trying. She's got a lot of accolades, and I don't want to miss any Ooh. of them. I know. I'm so sorry, Courtney. You're fine. And former head of the Division of Speech Pathology Department of Neurology at the Mayo Mayo, Mayo. Clinic in it's Rochester. Like Sandwich, I don't mm-hmm. use mustard. Rochester, <laughs> Minnesota, and is intentionally recognized for her expertise in childhood apraxia of speech. Most recently, Courtney was selected for and graduated from the American Speech and Hearing Association, ASHA, leadership program. Courtney, overall, Oof. is just awesome. And she also has a brand new cute little baby. I do. Sweet I Maddox. Do. So without further ado, Miss Courtney Willis. All right. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, Courtney. Yeah, Courtney, thank, thank you, you so for having much. me. No, we are so thrilled. We are so, so thrilled. So I want to talk uh, about a couple things. What should we talk about first with Miss Courtney? Gosh, I think we should just dive into it. So... What I think we really talked about a lot before even coming on and um, being on air was <laughs> auditory processing disorder. Yeah. Okay. So with, with our kiddos who we work with, and um, Presley and I have shared a lot of our story, um, but we want to talk about what that means for the population that we serve day in and day out and how that could be either misdiagnosed, overlooked, or mislabeled even with a diagnosis. Yes. So... 
So auditory processing disorder, not to, I'm going to make an overgeneralization and then say not to make an overgeneralization, <laughs> um, but it's kind of one of those like unicorn type diagnoses where we don't think a lot of kids have it, but I think we're probably wrong. Yes. Um, but, you know, to kind of put it in layman's terms, if you think about the way your brain hears, and the way that your ears work in relation to how your brain processes sound. If you think about that like a mixing board, like you know, you're gonna create a song and you've got a mixing board and you know you always see those sound engineers turn certain sounds up and certain sounds down mm -hmm. because if every sound was turned all the way up, the song would Kept sound doing horrible. it right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and, <laughs> and that's essentially mimicking what your brain does mm -hmm. when it processes sound. So, like, there are all these other sounds that are hap or, uh, happening on the peripheral of what we're hearing. It's just that our brain turns those external sounds that don't really, you know, do anything to add to the meaning of the communication. We just automatically turn those down. Well, with someone who has auditory processing disorder, it's like someone has gotten a hold of the mixing board and turned every sound up as high as it'll go Ugh, at the same time. I can imagine. No, that um, sounds horrible. Yeah, so, you know, that means that... You know, if a teacher's trying to give you directions and, like, Miss Presley turned a page in her book, mm -hmm. that sound would be processed at the same volume, um, that little page-flipping thing, as my voice. Mm -hmm. um, and so people wonder why, you know, it's harder for kids to pay attention and hear, well, we take for granted, like, all of those little sounds that get turned down, you know, just in everyday interaction. That doesn't happen for those kids. So, like... Number one, their brains are completely overloaded and fatigued from mm -hmm. processing all that sound. So it's going to be harder for them to understand and follow those directions to begin with. Number two, they're not hearing those directions in the way you or I would hear them. Number three, the other thing that we kind of neglect to take into account is that everybody sounds different. Yes. Um, based on their experience for that day. So like you or I are going to speak in a different way based on whether or not we're tired based on whether or not we've had coffee, whether or not we're in a good mood, whether or not we have sinus issues and things like that. And so, like, all that little, you know, that mucus in the back of your throat, guess what? They that can probably hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so auditory processing is really complicated. It's really hard to diagnose. There are a lot of... It's really controversial. Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to be upfront about that. There are some people that don't believe... It exists. Some people, um, some people being who? Some people being professors of audiology at major universities. Yes, and so audiologists. Audiologists yeah. are the only ones who can diagnose. Correct. This is correct. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, I can look at a kid and based off of the way they're, you know, responding to what I'm, you know, saying and responding to the external stimuli in the environment, um, say, hey, I think this kid has auditory processing disorder. It doesn't look like he's processing. What I'm saying, it looks like he's kind of in sensory overload, mm -hmm. um, right. you know, in really um, high sensory stimulation um, Plug. areas. Yeah. Um, but in order for that to happen, I've got to send him to an audiologist. The only issue is that a lot of audiologists will not diagnose it. Um, I've even, you know, I'm a graduate of the Callier Center. And, um, Which is awesome, by yes. the way. If you guys don't know what Callier Center is, look it up. It's yeah. incredible. The University largest of communication Texas disorders mm -hmm. program in the country. At We're Dallas. consistently in the top ten. 
We win the Praxis Bowl, which if you're a speech pathology nerd, you know, we win it every year, but we're we're pretty high up on the nerd totem pole. Um, what a great balance. You I guys, know. Yeah. Athletic, brains, yeah, got yeah. it all. You know. Yes, we, we can answer those Praxis questions. Um, but I say all that to say, you know, I've even had, you know, kiddos that that's been a harder diagnosis to even get in a place that's specialized. Now, they're fantastic. And, Calder. you know, I... Mm -hmm. I say all that to say it can just be hard in general, and right. it's just hard for any professional in general. I don't think we really have a gold standard diagnostic tool for auditory processing disorder Which is hard. yet. Mm -hmm. I may be incorrect in that. Maybe there's something that I don't know about. But my hard last to believe of, after hearing all of those accolades and, I know, and right? all of the. Well, I try to stay on top of my stuff, but <laughs> I'm not an audiologist either. So purple, and I would believe you. Well, I guess sometimes it is, kind of, kind of. Could be, you know, yeah. Depends on how you process color. <laughs> Which is a whole, yeah. whole, whole other disorder. Mm -hmm. I know a little bit about that too. Just a little yeah. touch. Yeah, I know how to send you to the person to That's important. identify it. That's important. So yeah. It's just so sad. I, I think my takeaway piece from all of that is still to this day, we're all trying to best serve the children, mm -hmm. right? And, and meet them where they're at, meet their needs, give them the tools to be successful. And we still have people that are putting up walls mm -hmm. and barriers mm -hmm. for us as professionals trying to get them the help that they need. Well, just... I also feel like I, like I mentioned before in previous episodes, and I know that Courtney agrees with me on this, a lot of it times it's looked at as a behavior mm -hmm. to where I look at all of that as communication. Right. Yes. So we have a child trying to tell us, I cannot understand what you're saying. I hear you, my hearing is fine, yeah. but I don't understand what you're saying. Well, and people don't really comprehend like the dangers of prioritizing compliance above communication. Mm -hmm. Because anytime you prioritize a behavior over understanding what the underlying cause of that behavior is, you run a risk of psychologically damaging any individual that you do that to. Absolutely. That's true. Um, and especially with sensory processing issues, you don't know how many uh, of those are due to the child being in actual physical pain. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the other danger of just looking at the behavior. You don't know if that kid's do, you know, doing that behavior because there's actual physical pain behind it. And they're trying to. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like what you're teaching them is like, Ignore. Yeah, your pain You're not means important. nothing to me. Mm -hmm. Your communication is not important to me. And then we wonder why they don't communicate with us. Well, Ugh. we don't honor their communication. And then when you right. take away that behavior, no matter how maladaptive that behavior is, that behavior is function. That behavior was, and most of the time is, functional, functional for them. All behavior is functional for the person, you know, producing the behavior. Otherwise, they wouldn't produce it. That's not, you know, neurologically, that's how your brain works. It does what's functional. Your brain never says, hey, this is totally non-functional and completely inconvenient Let's for me. Let's do it. Let's it just makes it. my life harder. Let's do it this way. Mm -hmm. um, kids do what they can. And so, you know, it's just such a dangerous game to ignore the why and focus on the what. And we now have the first of, you know, a lot of long-term studies that have been going on um, because there are certain therapy methodologies that are very popular for kids with sensory issues and autism and social pragmatic communication disorders that focus on um, modifying their behavior without giving them any type of communication or 
focusing on communication secondary to modifying their behavior. Mm -hmm. And what we're finding is, is that if you do that, if you prioritize um, that behavior over the underlying communicative message, you are 80% more likely to give your child post-traumatic stress disorder. So we touched um, on that some, another time too. Yeah. What a lot of people don't realize is that PTSD in children is, for lack of a better word, rampant. I mean, they don't. They mm -hmm. you think PTSD and you think a war veteran. That's not the case. Yeah. I mean, I not the only case. No, no, of course, yeah, not the only case. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not PTSD, and sometimes it manifested looking like ADHD yep. or looking like a, you know, like we talk a behavior. But mm -hmm. a lot of times it, it is psychological. But anyway. We love all that, such good feedback. But I, what I really, really want you to talk about is apraxia oh, and yes. what that means. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand. You know, even for me, sometimes it's hard to explain because I think, like, I don't have time to explain that to you. So just I know that you'll give me, like, a little pearl that I can kind of. Well, I'm going to give you a lot of science first before I give you a little pearl. Awesome. Um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, when I went to, you know, do all of my apraxia training, um, we really had to learn the neuroscience behind apraxia and what really happens in your brain. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to probably throw quite a few words at you that you're like, what, this is scientific jargon, but I promise I'll circle back around and explain. Okay. Um, so what apraxia is, is when your brain is processing all that afferent protoperceptive information, um, and what that means is the boundaries of where your mouth has to move and the shape that your oral cavity has to take in order to produce a sound, that's that afferent protoperceptive information. Mm -hmm. That is processed through your upper motor neurons. Your upper motor neurons then have to circle back around and recruit the appropriate number of lower motor neurons. And so what we think happens with apraxia is when that afferent protoperceptive information gets communicated from those upper motor neurons to those lower motor neurons, which actually those are the things that move your articulators, um, which is a fancy way of saying like your jaw, your tongue, yeah. anything that produces a sound, right. mm -hmm. it recruits the incorrect number of lower motor neurons. So there's some sort of hiccup in the messaging of, okay, this is where my mouth needs to move and how my mouth needs to move to be able to produce the sound that I'm hearing. So there's right. an error in communication again. Yes. Kind of like yeah. from your brain to your mouth, which is what? Yes. Which is so sad too because they know what they want to say. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's stuck in there and they're 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 trying. And they're trying. They're trying. They're trying. They're hearing the sound. They're trying to produce it exactly the way that you're producing it. Ugh. It's just something is happening on a neurological level to, you know, change what their mouth, you know, change what they want their mouth to mm -hmm. do into something different. Um, and so it's incredibly frustrating for the kiddos and it's frustrating for parents because um, they feel like their kids can't make progress with a lot of typical speech therapy. Um, and you can't treat it like typical speech therapy. No. You do have to be a specialist and you have to use a variety of treatment methodologies and it's got to be individually tailored towards the child. Um, and it's just a real... We're learning so much more about apraxia than we previously knew, but you know, if you're just a run-of-the-mill average Joe speech pathologist, you're like, oh my gosh, this average kid cannot. Average Jill. Average Jill. Oh yeah, I did hear that. <laughs> in the last, yeah, average the other Jill. Average Jill mm -hmm. speech pathologist. Um, you know, you get them in there, and you're like, oh my gosh, this kid cannot even consistently produce a vowel sound. Oh. Um, and I have had patients start like that, where mm -hmm. they cannot even consistently produce an ah, um, and that is how severe apraxia can really be. 
but it is treatable. So, you know, don't feel like it's a doom and uh, that's one thing I do want to, you know, say it's not a doom and gloom situation. Um, number one, you can get your kid a form of communication in the form of alternative and augmentative communication. Um, and that should be your priority if yes. your kid has apraxia because oh you've got to give them some sort of way to communicate. But there is hope for verbal speech, Absolutely. Too. So that's the thing that I touched on before yeah, as well. That did. is, I mean, you know, that's my heart. Like, I yes. want people to be able to communicate in whatever way works best for them, yes. whatever that looks like. So many parents look at it as a step backwards when you implement AAC, mm -hmm. but we look at it kind of like we said on the last one too, mm -hmm. a language calculator. It's just kind of like a help, a built-in, not necessarily saying, I don't want you to use your mouth to talk. This will just help you. Yes. Well, and the science does not support that it's a bad thing. The science supports that it's a very good thing. And there's a variety of different reasons why it is. Number one, it's getting their brain in the habit of forming and using language and using language to communicate and mm -hmm. interact with other people. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is, you remember what I was telling you about auditory processing? Well, all of your processing systems in your brain, there's, they're interconnected. Yes. So chances are if you know, your motor planning for speech is out of whack, a lot of times your auditory processing is out of whack. Well, remember when I was telling you about all the different nuances and how we say a word, you know, based on whether or not we have phlegm or we've slept yes, or we're yes. in a bad mood? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what is a consistent way to produce a word is using an AAC device. They never have sinus issues. Yes. They say it the same way every time I'm regardless so of whether or not that. they've slept. And so it's providing a consistent form of input that's easier on the auditory processing element of that kiddo learning language. So many people ask me, why do you want to teach them to talk like a robot? And that's exactly why. It's not teaching them to talk like no, a robot. It's just that, allowing them that to hear. Rate of speech is consistent. Everything mm -hmm. is consistent on that device. So yes. they have to I mean they have to hear a word a thousand times versus we have to hear it ten or five or a hundred, mm -hmm. you know, and that having that consistent rate. I'm so glad that you said that. Yeah. That's such a good point. It's not trying to teach them to talk like a robot or wanting them to only hear that rate of speech and not understand intonation. It's just being consistent. Well, yeah, and they're not going to imitate, <clears throat> no. you know, they're not going to, they're going to use their voice to talk. Mm -hmm. So if they sound like a robot, then that is their natural inclination, <laughs> you know, um, because <clears throat> they're, that's the other thing, just because you give them an AAC device, they can still hear everyone else around them. It's just yes. allowing them to interact. Mm -hmm. um, and I have yet to meet a kid that's been like, you know what? I can say cat, but I need for this to be real monotone because my AAC device is super monotone <laughs> and I want it to sound exactly like my device. It sounds silly when you, when you say it like that. It yeah. really does. It sounds so silly. But parents and other professionals who, who aren't educated just don't get that mm -hmm. and and it's hard to make a parent who's going through this understand that but when you break it down it it, does, it makes everything sense. points in the direction of AAC devices and right I mean communication being the the center of, of everything, of everything. Well, that's why it's important we talked about we don't want to have any type of parent shaming that's not what this podcast no, is no. but this is putting more tools in their toolbox right. oh, yeah. and letting them know because they are going to be combat or mixed with other professionals and therapists that yeah. disagree she's giving us the science behind of why it works right well here's the other thing if your kid has apraxia they have serious issues uh, with their ability to coordinate respiration phonation and motor planning necessary for speech Thank you. So if they can make their voice consistently monotone, then 
that is some good progress. <laughs> so, I mean, like, they're not going to be like, you know what, I, I like have to, you know, figure out how to breathe and, you know, vibrate my vocal folds yes. at, you know, the correct, <laughs> you know, frequency and, you know, so coordinate that like with robot. the information that's coming <laughs> from my, you know, motor strip, you know, and, and use all of that to move my articulators in just the right way. But by all means, I need to make this monotone. Yeah. Like, that's, like, they're going to talk however they can talk. Like, yes. it's, it's already, they're already having to work so much harder just to get out um, what it is that they want to say right. verbally. Like, that is so far down the line. I mean, if, if we get to that point where they're like, you know what? I'm going to make this monotone. I'm like, okay. You do it. Well, then you're go done with it. me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, then you go ahead and talk like a robot for the rest of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great job. Yeah. When you, you know? can't consistently produce a vowel sound, like, do you really believe that they're going to consistently be able to produce a monotone tone of voice? Like, that's, yeah. I mean, when you look at the science behind it, it's it seems on the outside logical. Mm -hmm. But then when you really dive into what is happening in your brain, mm -hmm. It's completely illogical and bordering on the fantastical. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so what are some red flags to look for? So um, one of the things that we look for with apraxia of speech is what we call groping. Okay. Um, so they're not, like, running around grabbing things or whatever. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Um, yeah, thank yeah. you for the groping situation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not that type of thing. It's... Uh, they're groping for sounds, so you'll see their mouth um, kind of, you know, you'll see a lot of... <laughs> Can you do that again for us, yeah, well, Oh, one more time. <laughs> you know, they're, they'll move in a lot of different ways, like they're looking for how to move for the sound. I have a kid in mind, and you know who I'm talking yeah. about, and so do you, that mm -hmm. has been doing that a lot lately because there's some other maybe biomedical things going on, yeah. mm -hmm. and he's having a hard time retrieving, and so he is doing a lot of groping. Yeah. And it's, um, it, I'm like, oh, buddy, I know, I know, I know what you know. But what the you're groping, to say. even from the beginning of the year to now, oh. I mean, the the time lag from him being able to retrieve and then express, it, it's getting shorter and shorter. So we are on the mer like the the very verge of hopefully a language explosion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If if apraxia and other biological, um, biomedical things aren't going on too, but yeah. Anyway, so I'm sorry. That's one of them. Um, another thing that you'll consistently see is um, one of the hallmarks, and it's, well, we say it's a hallmark, but it's not every kid with apraxia. Um, they will be inconsistent in their production of vowel sounds. Yes. Um, and one of the, and that's what makes them so, what can make a kid with apraxia so unintelligible, because what we don't, un, what we don't realize is just like a person talking, is that your vowels carry the weight of your intelligibility. So you can mess up a consonant sound and it still be fairly intelligible to, to like a novel listener or an outside listener. But when you distort a vowel sound, that's really when a word becomes unintelligible. Wow. A word like what? I feel like I need I know, an example. I know. I was just thinking that. Like, okay. Let's so think. like, uh, you know, like Brad Pitt and Snatch when he, you know, said dag for dog. <laughs> like ah. every, you know. That that would be a distortion of that vowel sound. And Great it, movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've never it, seen it. Thanks, Kev. Yeah, I've never seen it. But, you know, everyone had a really hard time, um, you know, uh, deciphering the, like, like traveler dialect. Phonetically uh, I think traveler, is that words. the correct term? What did you say? 
travelers? Is that, that well, I was thinking yeah. the same thing. So then how would you, I mean, let's say out of town family comes in and the child, I, I guess this doesn't even really make sense as a question, but a, a child in Boston mm -hmm. with, with a, a twang or a dialect and... So here's the thing. So how would that be a flag for, for that child? They're consistently producing that vowel sound that okay. way. So, okay. But if you say dag, dig, dog, dug, and you're every single time meaning dog. Gotcha. Uh, you're not yes. going to know what they're talking about. Gotcha. Um, and, and so, but you're still going to have a hard time. Like your brain is still going to take that extra second, even par park the car and, you know, I can't yeah. do it. But uh, khakis, I, like yeah, khakis. I'm from Waco. Khakis. Sorry. <gasps> Shout uh, out. I didn't know you're from Waco. Yeah. yeah. I went to Baylor. I know. Yep. I'll just sit over here. You guys so, can yeah. just run, yeah. run the rest um, of the podcast. Yeah, bye. <laughs> See ya. But, um, but yeah, so it, that's why we have uh, issues understanding people from different areas of, you know, the world or the country because the vowels are produced slightly differently in the shape of the, you know, that their oral cavities take whenever they form those vowels um, is different. And so that's when there's an intelligibility issue nine times out of ten, it's because a vowel sound is slightly distorted. Wow. <laughs> Um, Jinx, and that's, but yeah, I know. that's Day really what we old. change when we change like the consonants mm -hmm. is we change the relationship and the formation of the consonant in relation to the vowel sound. So again, you saying this makes sense to me because I'm thinking back on different people that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have never, I'm like, oh, I know what that means. Oh, is he trying to say or she trying to say putting that to... Well, yeah, and it's like if you have a no, kid with like, an an like a regular phonological process or an articulation disorder, and a phonological process for because I'm using speech speak here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, is, I'm sorry. Uh, so there are articulation disorders, which is or you know articulation errors, which is where you just get a sound wrong, and then there are phonological processes where you get an entire sound system wrong. Um, and okay. so when you hear a speech and language pathologist talk about an articulation error versus a phonological process. One is a distortion of a single sound, or like a, uh, but a phonological process is a substitution of an entire sound system for another sound system. So, like you'll hear us like refer to like fronting or backing, um, and those are two examples of of a phonological process. Disorder. So, like fronting is where you produce sounds that would normally be produced in the back of your mouth and the front of your mouth. Mm -hmm. So, like tuptates for cupcakes. That's that's Ooh. a phonological process. You guys, there's a really big map that we can show you. Maybe I'll put it on our uh, Instagram. That kind of is like, yeah, the map of your mouth. Here's fronting. Here's this. Where here's where you make glottal yeah. sounds. Here's where you make bilabial. You know all that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, there's all kinds of phonological example, process, like cluster reduction, yes. where you're supposed to have a sound cluster and you just reduce it down to a single sound. Mm -hmm. um, so, but those oh, are gosh. all. Yeah. I haven't talked like that in a long time. <laughs> It's like riding a bike. The cobwebs. Yes. Uh -huh. um, but so what age too? So we're talking about flags. What age should parents start worrying about or looking for a flag with speech? I mean, because speech can happen. I mean, developmentally, it, it's it's different for Everyone. every kid. Well, yeah. it's, it's so individualized. And the ages at which we're supposed to develop sounds is kind of up for you know. There's like so many gray uh -oh, areas did I, in did the I world scratch of speech. A, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, I love these questions because, you know, people wonder about it, and then they, but they don't ask. Yes. Um, and especially a parent who is scared 
is less like you know oh. they want someone to ask those questions because they don't want to ask them themselves right um no question is a stupid question yes especially Parents. in the world of speech mm -hmm. um so your child should have between like 150 and 200 words by the time that they are two um but and they say two word sentences right that's yeah like the yes um but here's the deal um, I learned some. If you have too. any question or you are concerned about your kid's speech and language, just go see an SLP. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's not like speech is not the end of the world. It has nothing to do with your IQ. The only thing that you're going to do by going to see a speech pathologist is a you're either going to find out, you know, for real something's up and you needed therapy and you got it early, and then your kid's out of speech, and they can move on, and you know, it's not a big deal. But, you know, the other end of it is you may find out that there's nothing wrong there's nothing. at all. Mm -hmm. And, so, you know, because a lot of times parents, like all of my friends, like all my friends who have had kids, like at one point in their child's life have been like, um, Courtney, uh, yes. you know, look at this video. Yes. What's wrong with my kid? Um, and I have had friends where I've straight up been like, yeah, this is autism. Like, they need to come see me. Mm -hmm. um, and guess what? Now they're in, you know, mainstream classroom and gifted and talented. And, you know, that's not every kid's experience. But uh, for though, you know, for that kiddo, we caught it at like 18 months and awesome. we did some early intervention and things went really well. That's awesome. Um, but... You know, no matter what age you choose to pursue intervention, that's always, there's no real disadvantage. A again, unless you go to a speech pathologist that's going to prioritize, that's going to prioritize, like, compliance. Like, if you go to a speech pathologist, it's like, look, they got to, your two-year-old has to sit down at a table and drill and do cards. Let me tell you something. I can teach your child 500 flashcards. They still cannot form a sentence. Right. You know why? There's no flashcard for the, is, was, who, what. Like, those don't you have, have to, accurate, yes. you know, picture representations. Kids learn through experience. So you want to find a play-based speech pathologist, when, if, especially if your kid's young. Um, it, you do not have, like, being compliant and being able to communicate are not mutually exclusive. Thank if you, that's the case, every behavior problem is kid not would, be a, would be nonverbal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so... You know, so that's another thing that we kind of talk about a lot on this podcast is the importance of movement. Yes, a lot of people don't understand that that's how you develop everything. A lot of not kids have to move. Yes, to be able. To oh my goodness, sound. yes. And we talked about last time. I'm sitting over here. I move a lot. Yeah. You know, even at school, there I am in the preschool classroom for just a little bit currently, kind of helping with that. And I make them get up and move around. Mm -hmm. I make them. Everybody stand up. Everybody sit down. Jump off your chair. And there are some people, and they're like, "Whoa, what are you doing?" Yeah. Okay, well, no, no, no. Let me just, just let me do it and then watch how they are. That also doesn't take away from classroom management, too. No. So yes. if you're a teacher and your kids are moving, you're not doing something wrong. Your administrators, a parent who's um, observing, it's, it's never going to take away from the learning experience. It's only going to enhance. Mm -hmm. But let me add another layer to that of neuroscience. Because that's why Miss Courtney's here. Yes. That's why we love Miss uh, Courtney. She can back up. I'm a, I'm uh -huh. a, you know, I, I, I like to know the why. I'm mm -hmm. a big why person. Hate the what. Love the why. Yes. What doesn't matter. What tells you nothing. Why tells you everything. Mm -hmm. um, so when your brain is developing as a child, your lower brain develops before your higher brain function. So your lower brain function are like the stuff you need to do to like survive 
like move around and like, you know, in evolutionary terms, like run from predators, you know, um, stay alive, avoid death traps, things like that. Uh, <laughs> the, and, you know, the yeah. typical. Yeah. And so like when we were, you know, turning into the humans that we are now, our brain said, okay, we've got to prioritize this set of skills. And those, you know, that particular set of skills is really basically, you know, concerned with like keeping you alive. So it's really fight or flight, impulsive, binary, yes. one or a zero. Mm -hmm. Well, your higher brain functionings are, you know, things that are, are controlled by like executive function, like your attention, you know, your Third arousal, mind. your yes. ability to sequence events. All of that doesn't finish developing until you're 30. So when you ask, like, <laughs> I got two a, more years. Yeah. So when you <laughs> ask, like, a two-year-old to do something that a 28-year-old is still gonna have an issue doing, like, you are placing a completely impossible, unrealistic expectation on that child. You're setting them up to fail. They can't, like, their brain cannot do it. Uh, and so, like, it's stupid, it's counterintuitive, I'm sorry if you're a speech pathologist that practices that way, <laughs> but I think what you're doing sorry, is Sorry, not sorry. Maybe they'll change uh, their mind now. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Or at least do more research to, well, yeah. I mean, to defend the other side yes. or why they do what they do. Right. I mean, and I'm over 30, so my brain has fully developed, <laughs> um, and, I, and I feel fairly confident and... You know, that's why I'm able to sit here yes. <laughs> and, yes. and talk with you guys. Mm -hmm. I don't have to get so up and around and move. That's so true. That's, that's we love it. We awesome. love the movement piece. I love that. And the neuro, the neuroscience behind it is important, too. It is. So, yeah, you're working um, dumber and slower yes. if you don't allow a child to move. Well, Thank and you. like you said, we love the why. So mm -hmm. yeah. why okay. we do what we do and, and what sets us apart as educators or professionals Um it sets us apart because of the why. Yes, mm -hmm. and we are all very interested in that. Mm -hmm. So, I know. I'm just it. I'm processing. <laughs> I I've heard all of the things. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, we talked about a lot of good stuff. Miss Courtney. Yes. Thank you for having it or for coming here. Thank you. Thanks for, for being us. with us. I know. Yeah. I'm like trying to prompt you. Thank you. Tell, <laughs> thank you for having me. No. <laughs> no. Thank you for having oh, me. Oh my gosh. Well, I think we should do another one with Miss Courtney. I think so. Yeah. I think so. So if there are any questions yep. or um, anyone has something to say uh, in defense or in support of yeah. um, what we talked about today in our podcast, yeah. please write to us. Um, we are on social media on Instagram and. Facebook and Twitter. Twitter. Yep. I always forget the, the tweet. We forget the Twitter. I always forget uh -huh. it. Yeah. But um, all right, guys. Miss Courtney, thank you again. Yes. That was super fun. Me. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay, stay regulated. regulated.